0: Tonight we're going to look at uh, John chapter four. John chapter four, if you want to find your place uh, there. But many of you know that Patty and I have recently been involved in foster care, and uh, in order to do this, there was a process uh, that was a a ten-week class, and uh, it actually turned out to be about eleven or twelve or thirteen, and just kind of seemed to keep going, but. But uh, kind of just a long process of, of learning and growing and trying to figure things out. And uh, kind of the last night, the night was, that was the wrap-up, um, the, the teacher had this incredible il- illustration that, that uh, kind of helped us to realize our place in the process. Where do we as foster parents, what is our job? What is it that we're doing? Why are we doing this? And uh, she had a, a cup and she said, People are like this cup. You know, when we experience difficulty, trauma, and loss, it leaves holes. And we're no longer able to hold water and to stay above float. You know, and and our instructor started to fill the cup, and immediately it just came right out. And she said, okay, now what can we do to keep that cup filled? to keep that, that, uh, that purpose in their life, to keep that energy, to keep that sense of, of meaning. And, you, you know, it was part of our job. We, we all had these tags that said foster parents or, uh, uh, you know, it could be relationships or birth parents or whatever. And, and their job was to pour that water into this cup, into this child, but you know what? Every time they did that, it emptied out. And it seemed like we were saying, Yay, good job. We, we kept filling. We kept working. We just kept going. But eventually, all of us had empty cups, and there was just a lot of water on the floor. We need to keep filling them up, because they will always be losing water. They will constantly need to be filled by you or by someone else. And you know, I I just sat there and I thought, wow, that's not just true of a kid's life who's been through a lot. That's true of my life. That's true of everybody's life. Excuse me. There's a passage in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, and it talks about how without God, we're broken cisterns, we're broken cups. We, we can't even hold water in our lives when we try to do it on our own. And we're always, we're constantly looking for something to quench our thirst, something that will fill us up. And time after time, we, we come disappointed. And we look at how quickly we're drained and left empty and how things change. And in John chapter 4, Jesus met someone just like you and me. He met someone that had a broken cup and was desperate to be finally filled. And nothing could accomplish that until she had this conversation with Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your word. Lord, without your word, we have nothing. We are so empty. We need you Father, to come and fill us. And Lord, I pray that during this time you would do a mighty work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, to get some perspective on, on this conversation and what's going on, I want to read kind of the introductory portion of of this passage, and then we'll get right into the conversation. But, but look at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus... Made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judah and departed again to Galilee. The Pharisees were trying to pit John the Baptist against Jesus. Oh, look at the scoreboard. Look what's going on. He has more disciples than you. And Jesus was saying, Look, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to get out of here. And so he left Judah and departed again to Galilee. Verse 4 But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. A very important place. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, during the middle of the day. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And you know, we could talk a lot about the Samaritans and and how they were considered to be worse than dogs in the eyes of the Jewish people because of their mixed Jewish and Gentile heritage. Or, or how a Jew would take the long way around Samaria just, just to avoid going through it. Or, you know, the, when I think of Samaritans, I, I automatically think of the story of the Good Samaritan. And the thing that shocked the, the people that Jesus told that story to was that there was actually a Good Samaritan. They weren't used to that idea. That was so foreign to them. But I don't want to miss out on the main point. The whole point today is that Jesus will bring complete filling, a complete satisfaction that's found in no one else. And the conversation begins with this idea that we can be finally filled through accessing the well. Let's start again in verse 9. She says, The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews had no dealings with a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He said, If you only knew who was sitting before you, if you only knew the gift of God that's right here, You know, and and really that, I think, refers back to to a passage that we looked at last week. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He said, if you only knew what I could do in your life, oh man, there's so much potential. There's so much, just just let me, just give me the opportunity to change your life. That's what I want to do. Let me give you access to living water. And you know, I I think Jesus says that to us a lot. You know, he says, man, if you only knew what I wanted to do through you, you'd jump at the chance. You'd be right there. You'd be ready. And so often we say, no, no, I'm okay, God. I'm doing okay on my own. And he says, okay? I don't want you to be okay. I want you to be full And filled, I want you to have living water. Here it is, take it. And you know, he's talking about the big stuff, you know. He's talking about restoring your marriage. He's talking about healing your past. He's talking about giving your life purpose. He's talking about life changes. Jesus said, if you only knew what I could do in your life, you would just ask, ask, just ask for it. and the woman responds in verse 11 she says sir you have nothing to draw from and the well it's deep where then do you get that living water where is it from are you greater than our father jacob who gave us this well and drank it uh, and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock he says she said look uh, you don't even have anything to get water with. What are you talking about? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a canteen. Where are you getting this water? I mean, that's why you asked me for water, right? Because you don't have any. And she says, anyway, I, I don't know where you think you got the water from, but this water, this is like Vermont pure water here. I mean, this is from Jacob's well. It doesn't get any better than that. Do you think you're better than Jacob? It reminds me of what Nicodemus said to Jesus. When he talked about, man, who are you? But, you know, we we kind of have to give this lady a break because Nicodemus had seen the miracles. He had seen the amazing things that had been done by Jesus. And he knew that Jesus was majorly special. But the lady didn't know Jesus from Adam. Adam. She didn't know anything about him. And Jesus was speaking of accessing a different kind of well. And so then again he explains it. Verse 13 says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. How do we get well water today? It's not about creating water. It's not about a system of, wow, I need to make sure that I can, I can somehow conjure up this water. It's about accessing the water. The water is there. It's just that on the surface, we can't get to it. And so you have to drill down into that ground to get to the water. And when you hit it, pff, boom, right? It just pours out, it gushes all over the place. You have to cap it in order to control it because it's just, it's right there. Jesus is saying, I am your access to the kind of well that will finally fill you forever. He says salvation is so accessible. It's right there. And in verse 15... The woman responds to that. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And it's almost like she says, Okay, I give. Show me your hand. Let me see. Where's this water? There was a sense of desperation of, Yeah, that'd be great. I don't want to come back here again. But there was also a sense of, Okay, show me what you're made of. Prove it. And you know, just like the the salesman who's trying to sell magic beans, it was, I don't think so. Let me see the proof. Give it to me right here. And you know, even in that conversation, I can almost hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 when he says, when he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have loved to gather you, just like a hand gathers her chicks, just in a way of safety and and love, and man, just hovering over you, a place of contentment. But you were unwilling. And really, he offers us that same well. He offers to fill us With himself. He is the gift. And in Romans 3.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to make a choice. It's there. Are we going to reach for it? Or are we going to let it pass by? And just like the two criminals that, that were hanging next to Jesus on the cross, one on the left and one on the right, who were there because of their own issues, because of their own transgression of the law. This was their punishment. (laughs) But they were so close to the source. They were so close to Jesus. They were so close to the one who would transform time. They were so close to that fountain of living water. They both were there to witness how Jesus dealt with the crucifixion. Maybe they had heard of Jesus in the past. And one dove into that well and said, You know what? I need you, God. I need you, Jesus. And the other completely rejected him. So Jesus, just like in his conversation with Nicodemus, doesn't give up. He doesn't say, oh, well, that was once I told you, so let's talk about something else. He says, okay, let's try this again. And he continues to show her that we can be finally filled not only through access to the well, but through experience and grace. Look at verses 16 through 18. This is Jesus' response to her challenge. She says, show me. Go ahead. I want to see it. And Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one with whom you uh, now, the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truthfully. I love this. Jesus sees right into the heart. And he makes a statement that causes her to acknowledge how unfulfilled she's been in her life. She challenged Jesus to show her why she would need that everlasting water, why she would need to trust him. And he did. She had tried and tried to fill up her life on relationship, trusting one man after another Only to be let down time after time after time. Just seeking to to have purpose, to have happiness, to have contentment. And time after time, she had to go back to the world's well to find another answer, to find another solution. And it's not that Jesus wanted to say, See, you're such an evil person, you're such a sinful person, gotcha. I'm right, you're wrong, I win. Got another challenge? It's more of a, just so you know, I am fully aware of what's going on in your life. And I'm still talking to you. I still want to give you access to living water. Jesus says, stop the struggle, stop the cycle. Experience my grace. I have a better answer. You know, grace is popularly defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, it's all the fullness and glory that we long for, but aren't able to grasp because of our sin. And that glory and fullness is handed to us. It's given to us. It's set down at our feet. But the cost was great. The cost was paid by Jesus. And this idea of grace just fills the pages of Scripture. You can't get away from it. And uh, one of the uh, greatest explanations is found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I'll write this down and, and go take a look at it uh, another time as well. But this is what he says. He says, for, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He says, This salvation is... Accessible to you right now, this grace. And this is what it teaches us. So it's teaching us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Grace helps us to stay away from the things that will not fulfill our lives. And then it continues, it doesn't just say the negative, it tells us, it teaches us the positive. It teaches us that we should live soberly. Righteously and godly in this present age. Grace helps us to live fulfilled lives. And in verse 13 it says, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing. We've been singing about that all night of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says he is the absolute picture of grace. Take a look at what he did. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people. He says, come on, I don't care what you've done. I've paid the price. Would you just come on, experience my grace? He says, zealous for good works. The result of a grace-filled life is one that just is so excited about doing right, about doing good, about just a desire. It doesn't say has completed every good work. It says he's zealous for him. He's chasing after it. He desires that to be true of his life. You know, grace is not just a one-time act. It's an experience that continually, powerfully changes our lives until ultimately at his return. Jesus says to this lady, I know you. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And I still want you to experience my grace. I still want you to drink of this living water. To have the forgiveness that only I can bring. And as we saw with Nicodemus and as we know is true in our own lives, we, we stand by the philosophy that if it's too hot, I'm getting out of the kitchen. If it gets too personal, I'm changing the subject. Her action screamed, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to think about it. But the only way to be finally filled is through worshiping honestly. Look at her response. Look at how she, she tries to change the subject. In verse, uh, verse 19, the woman said to him, after Jesus had told her everything about her life. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> wow, that took a lot of insight, my friend. She says, okay, you're a spiritual leader. You're an authority on things. I got a conundrum for you. I got a puzzle for you. Let's switch from the, from the personal to the theoretical. From the personal to the general, let's switch from me to trivia. Here goes, verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She was referring to, to her heritage, the Samaritans. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you, the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Okay, okay. I got it for you, Jesus. You, you, you want to work on some things? I got something else for you. And really, she was saying, You know what? I, I can handle a discussion about worship because I know that if he's like any of the other Jewish people I've met, this will just throw him off. He'll be so intent on this rabbit trail, he's going to forget all about me. He's going to forget all about his focus. My personal life will no longer be the center of attention. And Jesus says in verse 21 Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He says, There's coming a day where where you are will not dictate the worth of your worship. It doesn't matter where you are. He continues, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Did he bite? Is, is this Jewish man going after this, this lore that she put out there to get him sidetracked, to get him off the subject? Is Jesus on another issue? He said, you, Samaritans, uh, there's a plural there, Samaritans as a whole, you don't understand what you're worshiping. The Samaritans may have had good intention when it came to worshiping God, but they had gotten it wrong. And it's interesting that Jesus corrected her. He didn't just let her be in this state of unknown. He answered her question. And then he says the Jewish people have kind of an inside track on worship. You see, the Jewish people, from them comes salvation, from the Jewish people came Jesus, the one who would change the world. So yeah, they kind of have a little something. God had used the Jewish people to birth the Messiah, the Christ, the one that everybody was waiting for. But he doesn't get distracted. He gets back to the, to the personal. He talks about true worshipers. It says in verse 23, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. He gets back to us. He gets back to me. And he says, are you a true worshiper? What about you? You have access to the well. Sitting right before you is God Almighty. And the ones who have access to me must be honest with themselves and with God. When they come before me, when they want to come into my presence, there's no false pretenses. There's no, I've made it on my own. They come before God and allow Him to do a work in their lives. The Spirit is the core of who we are. It's also the core of who God is. God is Spirit. And it's not simply an outward display of adoration. It's it's a mindset. It's a heart thing. It's a who I am. It's a love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength kind of thing. It's everything laying it out before him. The very depths of who I am needs to worship and recognize God as almighty. Truth, uh, in honesty, not hiding anything, not holding anything back. Just like in John chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they've been done in God. He comes before and says, God, go ahead. Take a look. Open me up. I need to be honest with you. He says, I can't make up my own rules about how to come to God, how to be fulfilled. I can't write my own book and say, hey, look, it says it in a book. We have to come honestly and truthfully before Him and submit to what He has to say about our lives. So where do you stand? Where do I stand? You know, one of the most amazing verses in this passage is at the end of verse 23, it says, For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. That's good news. God is seeking you out. You know, just like He did with Nicodemus. He didn't let Nicodemus off with the first... With the first one, he, just like he did with the woman. The woman tried to change the conversation time and time again. And Jesus says, look, I'm coming after you. You need to come to a decision. And he desires and he pursues us. He runs after us. How do you respond to someone like that? And one more time, the woman tries to ignore her need tries to get Jesus out of her business. But Jesus declared to her that we can be finally filled through ending the wait, not hesitating any longer. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. She said, okay, I'll deal with that later. When the Messiah comes, he'll clarify all this stuff about worship that I'm really confused about. I don't want to deal with that right now. Does that sound familiar? You know, when God confronts us and says, look, this is in your life, we've got to do something about this. And we say, well, Lord, you know, I'll just wait until you come again and you fix me completely. Then that's when it'll be taken care of. I know you want to do something in my life, but just hold off for just a second. I'm kind of busy. And Jesus responds in a very powerful way. He says, Time's up. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And actually, more literally... It's the idea of, I am is speaking to you. This is a direct, unmistakable declaration of the deity of Christ. As the I am that I am. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was standing before the burning bush, he said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I'm going to your people that are slaves in Egypt. And I'm going to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they're going to say, who is he? What's his name? What do I say to him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And just like God, the I am sent deliverance to the people of Israel who were in slavery, who were in bondage, who were not living a fulfilled life. He desired to bring them to a place of abundance, a place of blessing, a place He had promised them. And just like, God, just like that, God brings us deliverance today through Jesus Christ. To a life just like this lady's, to a life just like mine, from a life of bondage and slavery to sin, to a life that is full and abundant, a life that is lived through grace, a life that never ends, an eternity in His presence. And Jesus says to this woman, don't wait, don't delay, the time is now. I'm standing before you. It's time to make a decision. The Messiah you've been waiting for is speaking with you. So what's your answer? It's time to be filled with living water and there was an immediate change in her you know she she believed him she believed what he said she trusted that this man was who he said he was and that she could drink from this well that would never run dry that she could be finally filled and you can see that in her urgency she left her water pot she ran back into the city and told everybody about what happened She wasn't ashamed of her sin anymore because she knew Jesus had taken care of it. And I believe she probably went back to some of those same people, maybe some of her previous husbands, and said, Look, I know this sounds crazy, but that guy out there, he told me everything that I ever done. He knows me, and he knows what I need. She was overflowing with the fountain that had sprung up inside of her just like Jesus had promised. And in verse 39, it says, many in the city believed because of the word of the woman. Wow, what a life change. And remember, not only does that decision change her life, but it changes the life of your family and your friends and those around you and their future because of your decision. Our lives are a lot like this cup. Broken, leaking, and unsatisfied. Relief that comes from things is temporary. Relief that comes from people is temporary. And nothing seems to fill us up and keep us filled. But what happens when Jesus comes into our lives? He takes the broken, and he makes it new. Living in his grace, he surrounds our life. He says, you know what? You're going to be filled. And not only that, when you get to the top, guess what's going to happen? It's going to overflow. It's going to pour out into the lives of others. You will make an impact in this life. John chapter ten verse ten says that Jesus came that we might have life, and that we might have it abundantly, that we might have it overflowing. Jesus gave, came to give us that abundant, overflowing life. And you know, just in as in these two conversations that we've seen uh, over the past two weeks, we see the scope. Of John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. We see the the best of the religious best, the one who is trusting himself and his religion to get him to God. And we see the Samaritan woman who is considered far from God come to know God. We all have this great need that can only be fulfilled in Christ. So what about today? Are you living a filled life? Are you living a life that is, can be called satisfied because of Him? Has God presented salvation to you time and time again? And each time you say, wait, no, nah, not right now, Lord. I'm going to wait until the Messiah comes. I know God is going to be gracious. God is saying right now, right before you is your opportunity You can be filled. You can be saved. You can have eternal living water. What if we made that decision today? What if you made that decision today? And you could leave here instead of being empty, instead of needing to be filled by things or people that we could be overflowing, that we could be a blessing to others in their lives, in their time of need. Maybe God is challenging you tonight to share out of your overflow. Maybe God is saying, why don't you take what I've given to you and spread it out? There's enough for everybody. Let somebody know. Maybe God is challenging you about partnering together with us as we together come together and say, world, here it is. Here is the fountain of living water. But whatever it is, I pray that God is speaking to you tonight from this passage. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity. You have given us access to the amazing filling that only you can bring. Lord, I thank you that we can experience grace, that we can experience the cleansing that can only come from you. Lord, I I just thank you that you have given us wow, you're overflowing blessing. And Lord, may we be challenged tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.